Hello, everyone, and welcome to Navigating Our Roots a Través de Nuestras Cicatrices. I'm your show host, Lorelei Flores Gonzalez, and in this episode, we will be talking to a very informative individual by the name of Edmari Correa de Castro. In this episode, we're just going to discuss the experiences of a second-generation student coming from a different country and approaching the educational system through the second-generation title, but with the experiences of a first-generation student. So, Edmari, can you introduce yourself for us? Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Edmari Correa Castro. I was born in Venezuela, and I came here five years ago to the U.S. I'm a double major in business, in international business and management, with a concentration in HR, and I'm minoring in Chinese. Wow, so, yeah. you're doing a lot. Yeah. You're trying to find a good job when you graduate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love languages, too, so that's why I learned cool. Chinese. So... Can I ask you what was, like, your reason for coming to UNC Charlotte? Yeah. So when I was in the college process, I didn't have a lot of help. Um, As a lot of first-generation students, I didn't have that much support. And the only support I had was my advisor from early college. Um, And when choosing a university, I was thinking of UNC Charlotte, Queens, App State, or Wingate, because I wanted to stay close to home. I had just left Venezuela. A couple years after, so a couple years before, and I didn't want to leave my family again, so I considered applying to college, but I wanted a college that was diverse, college that had people that looked like me, Yeah. because in my early college, there were not a lot of Latinos, so when I saw the percentage of diversity in USA Charlotte, I was like, this looks right, this looks like the right college for me. So did you get into all the schools that you applied for? Yes. Um, yes, I only applied to four. <laughs> So, I mean, that's still a lot. Yeah, um, I was I was very fortunate to do the process and like really pay close attention, find resources for fulfilling the essays and everything like that for the application. So I feel like that was definitely a big component of it. And I was accepted. Um, not gonna lie, I was first gonna go to Queens, but the price was a little much. It was so a little hefty. Oh yeah, for yeah, sure. Trust me, I know. Mm-hmm. So I decided to come to UNC Charlotte instead. Plus, my one of my older brothers came to UNC Charlotte, so he had oh, the experience. That's cool. So yeah. you have like a like a tie, like a familial tie. Yeah, like I wouldn't say like I'm a legacy student because back then when he came, he graduated in 2015, and when he came, things were very different. He studied a completely different major, and he didn't have any kind of resources. He didn't even apply for FAFSA, so he had to pay oh everything wow. out of pocket because he didn't know anything. Yeah. Um, and I guess, like, he didn't have access access to a lot of resources to find these things online. So um, when I asked him, I reached out for help. He couldn't help me that much, and I had to figure it out on my own as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think, like, the it's kind of, like, fairly new, the whole idea of helping first generation or second generation students who like don't have um other sources that they can reach out to like i think it's been recently within at least the last five years where we've been highlighting like as a society the importance of providing these resources for students who don't have them so that makes sense as to why he wasn't able to help you because he didn't have that and unfortunately that's the reality for a lot of people for sure 
So I do want to backtrack a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned that you struggled a lot, like applying to colleges, like first-generation students, but technically you're a second-generation student. So what would you say was like your toughest um, or the thing you struggled with the most when applying to college that made you think, yeah, I don't, I, I know I'm not a second generation student. Mm, I feel like overall the process was pretty complicated, but I think applying for financial aid was definitely a very big component for me. Um, in Venezuela, when my parents went to college, they over there they have public and private universities, and public universities are free. So they didn't have to pay for anything. They didn't have to do any kind of financial aid for that. And when coming here, I encountered myself with FOSFA and all the other financial aid. And I noticed there was a lot of information that I had to feel, and I wasn't sure on how to feel, especially because I am not an American citizen. I'm a resident. So when you came to the part of including, like, your Social Security number and all those components, it looked different to me, and I didn't know where would um the information had to be shifted and my the only resource I had my advisor in early college since there were no other Latinos in early college she had no or like any other people with my case um immigrants she had no clue how to help me so I had to look up online I had to call FOSFA it was very long procedures my parents couldn't help me either so I felt like I got to the point that I thought I was not going to be able to come to college um but luckily in March, I submitted FOSFA, even though it opened in October, and I was able to receive financial aid. Yeah, I think that's also, like, like highlights the experience that first, because I relate a lot to you, and I'm technically, like, a first-generation student, um, but when I was applying to college, I remember when I opened my FAFSA account, somebody had my phone number registered under their account, and I didn't know how to, like, navigate that. So I ended up calling FAFSA, which, by the way, they make you wait on the phone for, like, 40 minutes. Like, what the they hell? Do. <laughs> but I called, and they were like, oh, yeah, just use your email, but make sure not to put your phone number, because if you put your phone number, then you can't access your account, and then you're not going to be able to, like, use your money. And I was like, okay. So as of right now, like, my FAFSA is only tied to my personal email. But I kind of understand, like, your experience with having to call FAFSA, with having to reach out to, like, the advisors. So I think that even though you're technically a second-generation student, we do still have, like, that similarity of, like, essentially begging for somebody to help us because we don't know how to do it on our own. And I think that's kind of interesting because a lot of second-generation students right now like they don't have to navigate it that way because their parents are able to help them and you for example don't have that because your parents didn't have to fill out FAFSA so I think that's a very close tie that you have with quote-unquote first-generation students. Yeah for sure I feel like that's something that um, when I was applying I thought I would be considered first-generation because although my parents went to college and they have well, my mom finished um, college. My dad went to like a like a music school, so it's not technically like a university, but still, um, it was completely different from the process here in the states. So when I I remember reaching out because that little box of "Are you first generation?" Yes, no, I didn't know what to answer. But when I reached out to advisors here in University of Charlotte, they told me you don't count because your parents did go to college, although it was in a different country. There's no box for that. There's no 
well, if your parents are immigrants or if they had another education outside of the U.S., you are still not considered first-gen, even though you have no clue on how to navigate the system here. Yeah. So another question that I have for you in regards to that is, like, how did you... I know essentially sometimes being part of, like, you just recently came from Venezuela, five years is very recent. Um, And I'm sure it was a struggle to, like, acclimate to American life and American society and the American education system. So I wanted to ask you, how was the process of, like, applying for college in America similar to the process of becoming uh, acclimated to American society? Like, how were there struggles that sometimes you were like, oh, my gosh, like, it's the same exact struggle? Yeah. And it's, like, interlapping. Mm, That's a really good question. I feel like the main struggle that I faced was nobody had answers to your questions. It felt like coming here and then trying to apply for like a residency or something you had like a particular case it's because I feel like sometimes they are based so much in like the paper way of cases that come and are very common that when it comes to an exception or a case that's very different people don't really are trained for that and they don't know how to help you I feel like both for applying for my residency and social security number as well as for college I encounter that even nowadays like I feel like uh, mm, because you know I I am Venezuelan but I also have a Portuguese citizenship because of my grandma so already dual citizenship coming to the states I felt like in Venezuela I was like struggling between being am I Portuguese am I Venezuelan and coming to states is am I Portuguese American or Venezuelan Mm -hmm. so it's a struggle of identities that I feel that sometimes I don't know how to answer certain questions based on my situation. And I feel like a lot of people don't know either. So that encounter of, I have no clue. I have to ask someone or you have to reach out to someone else because sometimes they don't have the answer. And it seems like they cannot find the answer for you. You have to reach out to a different completely person. Mm -hmm. So the struggle of balancing between back and forth people to just being able to ask for help. Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, stressful it's very frustrating sometimes because you feel like am i is my case really that complicated to the point nobody has ever lived through this before and you cannot help me in any way yeah i completely well i don't understand but i sympathize with you because i mean it sounds very stressful to have to like constantly be reaching out to somebody um and like not having the answers for things that you know should have answers um, especially because, like, in the United States, there's so many um, immigrants and refugees and people seeking asylum. So it would make sense that we, sh- we should have the answers to these questions because it would make navigating life, like, easier. And on top of that, it would also provide immigrants with, like, that extra layer of security in their place in America. So I think... I think that's something we definitely need to work on. For sure. And especially within, like, the collegiate system um, because it's it's just not fair to students and especially on a campus like UNC Charlotte where diversity is promoted. I think it's essential to have the tools to give the people who bring this diversity complete access to education. 
Yeah, I agree. I feel like um the university has on the recent um the recent years for what I've heard is been improving on like resources. But you can also well these resources are and these efforts are really appreciated. Like yeah, on for my sure. part. I feel like we're behind. Like there are way more things that I feel like nowadays in twenty twenty three we should be having mm-hmm. that they're still not present. So I think like it's really important on that they keep working on those, developing those and hearing from students who are the ones who n- and who know what the experiences are like. Yeah, I think um the important thing about that type of stuff is like raising awareness. I think that's why raising awareness is such a powerful tool, especially in college settings, because the advisors and the faculty, they can say we are diverse all they want. But if we're not bringing up the issues that they're not acknowledging, then there's no way for them to become more diverse. There's no way for them to invest money in programs or systems that would benefit diverse even more yeah. so i think i agree with her yeah i feel like you can also notice a uh, kind of like the the gap of diversity when you think of you see around yeah you see people many different kind of people here in us charlotte but you c- when it comes to your classes or like faculty you notice that in certain departments there's not a lot of diversity when it comes to faculty like yeah. as a business student this is the first semester in where only one of my professors is Caucasian and all of the other are minorities, which I was very surprised of because this whole time that I've been these two years in the business department, they all are um, older white males. So knowing that in the business department, for example, there's a lack of diversity. And also from the classes when you attend, a lot of the students have like fall into like the same um, demographics is also very it's discour- yeah, it's alienating, it's discouraging sometimes because you feel like you are completely different and sometimes your experiences cannot be related to. Mm-hmm. I completely understand that. Like, I relate to that completely. I'm a communication studies major as well as a double major in sociology. And in a lot of my classes, I do see people of color. Um, but most times I'm also like one of the few Latinas in the room. And while it does help to have, like, other people of color in the room, sometimes I feel like I can't share my experiences as a Latina because everybody has, like, an American um, view on these experiences. And then that's what ends up getting highlighted. And it kind of, again, alienates you. It makes you feel like you can't share these things. Or, like, if you do, you're dumb and nobody cares. Yeah. I you know? So. I feel like... um. I, this semester I'm taking an international marketing course and it's one of the few, well, the first course that I feel that because it has an international approach, um, a lot of people come from different places and their opinions are valued. Like I feel like a lot of opinions are recognized by the professor, but when it comes to like different classes that are not focused on international approaches, your experience, if you're like an immigrant or you come from a different place or you have a different perspective, are not very valued compared to like the American perspective. Yeah, completely. I agree. Um, and so I want to kind of transition back into your experience as a second generation student who's also on the line of like first generation. Um, I was reading an article um, by Maria Rendon titled amidst rising inequality second generation latinos in the inner city sustain the american dream 
And in this article, she states that in the study that she conducted, most second-generation Latinos relied heavily on their Latino networks to navigate the labor market. Like their immigrant parents, they relied on their family and community ties to access jobs. And that was a direct quote. Um, So my question for you is, as a second-generation student coming from parents who did go to college but not in the States, how do you connect yourself to that? I feel like I feel disconnected. Um, if I was to realize on my parents' connections, I wasn't. I would not be able to work here in the states. They have connections in Venezuela. They have connections in other countries from people that emigrated from Venezuela, but not a lot of connections in the U.S. And if a second generation, the tendency is to kind of rely on the parents' experience. I feel like I, in that situation, I fit into first gen. I have no resources. Yeah. And although I feel like a first gen, I cannot claim to be a first gen, which also like creates a struggle for me. Yeah. Um, so another question that I have in regards to this is like because you know, you you've lived the experience of a second generation student, but not the typical um idea of what a second generation American student is. What would be your biggest hope or, like, something that you would want to see change in order for people like you or people who have experiences like you to thrive, especially in college settings or especially in the workforce or as students in general? Mm. That's a really good question. I feel that when it comes to forms, when it comes to filling out paperwork, there shouldn't just be two boxes. There shouldn't be a yes or no question because there's a really big gray area on what is classified as first gen. I feel like there should be another box of a other or some kind of help that they provide you so you understand, well, I'm considered second gen in paper. I'm technically a first gen and I'm pretty sure that I'm not the first one that feels this way and there's probably many cases of people that also would be considered first-gen because they don't have the resources and they're not provided with that. And although I know the resources for first-generation immigrants and college students are limited, that little support that they offer is not offered to us. So I feel like at least allowing us, inviting us to those events could definitely make a difference in learning your resources, Mm -hmm. offering you that hand instead of us having to beg for help all the time. Yeah, and I also think that because, like, the link between first generation and second generation is one person. Yeah. Like, it would still be beneficial for second generation students to be offered the same resources as first generation students. Because even, like, American citizens, if they have their parents to rely on, like, the system changes constantly. So... You know, let's say I have a kid in 20 years and then they're applying to college and they ask me for help and I don't know how to help them because the system has changed so much. I think that they would benefit as well um, from having that or like access to those resources. Because, again, the difference between a first generation student and a second generation student is literally one person. Sometimes two if, if both of the parents attended college. So. I think it would still be a wonderful way to get 
um, these students to have access to those resources. And I think that, like you said, students shouldn't have to beg to receive these resources. They should automatically be offered. So on the college level, what would you like to see change? Like at UNC Charlotte, what would you love to have had access to that maybe future students could have access to? I think more opportunities to like network and connect to first gen and second gen students because although I know there are some events on campus that the university promotes for first generations to get together and get to know each other and network together, I feel like second generations are already not really included or mentioned in that. And yeah. I also feel like they're very limited. They're not that often. I know for example, like international program, they have like the international coffee hours for international students which I think is an amazing tool. But it kind of feels like international students are getting that benefit of getting to know people here every two weeks. But people that are living and studying here don't have that benefit of connecting with others that are similar to them as often, maybe once a month, maybe once, twice a semester. Yeah. So I feel like the focus on trying to create events for those for networking and connecting also with people that um, are minorities. I know... The university is hosting this program that I'm attending Friday, um, promoting business um, uh, business students to connect with small business owners that are l- from the BIPOC population. So they have different people that are minorities come and network with us. I feel like those kind of events should be hosted more frequently, not once yeah. a semester, but like different times a semester and promote it so that students have that access and have that resource to know that they can learn from people that look like them and connect with other people that also look like them. Yeah, and I think that also brings up a wonderful point of how a lot of like first generation students or first generation students of color struggle in settings where most of their colleagues or their bosses are white, white Americans. And so by being able to extend that, not only are, are they saying, like, yeah, I can make it in here. It provides a more comfortable setting because it's people that look like them who have also succeeded. And then it makes it a more comfortable, more warm setting. And it makes it so much easier to, to feel connected. Yeah, I feel like it's a representation that we were missing growing up. Like, you see people that look like you being successful it's very nice to hear their stories and know that you can get there too and not just the same like people that don't look like you or you cannot relate to it's really nice to feel like the human side of those people that have a really big name out there yeah for sure and i think it also like helps not having just white colleagues or just white bosses in the sense that you're not forced to listen to microaggressions or racist statements because these people have similar or completely um alike experiences to yours so it helps to to take that away because you don't go to work expecting to hear your colleagues um say a microaggression or you don't go to work expecting your boss to say something slightly racist like you you go to work to work and so having people who look like you where you work makes it more comfortable makes it better and it increases productivity. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful tool that we could all benefit from. 
for sure. Yeah. And I also think giving training to those people who, you know, maybe they're white or maybe they didn't know that those were microaggressions. But in 2023, we should not be tolerating those for things. For sure. Like, people need to be called out. And I feel like a really big um, component of it is the hierarchy on business or on different companies or sets of work in where if somebody is above you in any kind of position, it feels like awkward trying to call them out for a microaggression. I feel like that barrier should be broken. Yeah. I don't think because you have a bigger position that, mean that means that you should not be learning from other people. And uh, I think like this kind of like the stigma behind talking about microaggressions and racism and stop in the work environment should definitely be tackled in some kind of way. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much, Anmari. This was such a wonderful conversation to have. I loved it. I hope to have you on here again. Um, and to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. This has been Navigating Our Roots a Través de Nuestras Cicatrices. I hope that you'll tune in next week. And again, as always, remember that you matter and that you belong. Thank you. <laughs>